You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is Archery Unfiltered, the show that cuts out all the nonsense and gets right to the core of what it takes to make you a better archer. It is April 7th, 2022. Hello, gay boys. How is everybody? How is my archery unfiltered people? I have no guests for you today. Uh, bunch of stuff I want to cover though. Um, let's see. What do we got coming up this weekend? This weekend is the NFAA 3D Break the Barriers Tournament down in the lovely town of Friant, which is right next to Fresno. Um, very, very fun. Um, kind of a unique system. Or what's the word? Format? Unique format. 102 targets spread out over two days. Um, tiny, tiny orange dots. Uh, I I want to say they're the size of a 10 ring. Uh, like a Vegas 10 ring. But I think they vary like from animal to animal. But they're pretty small uh, on the whole. Let's see. In the past... I've done pretty good at this. I've placed first on like one, you know, it, there's two different courses. There's They used to call it like the North American range and then like the African range. I think now they're just calling it the yellow range and the red range. Um, I think I placed first on the North American range and it was before there were orange spots. Um, I did a lot of aiming off of other people's knocks and that actually worked out really well for me. <clears throat> that was a much sharper... Sharper Wendell. <laughs> Last year, I had the pleasure of shooting it with my buddy Rudy Sandoval, and we won the, or we didn't win. I'm sorry. Let me back that up. We placed third in the team uh, money event, and we got ourselves some team belt buckles. Admittedly, we got that far because I sandbagged, and uh, was, you know, last year I didn't have my pro membership renewed. I just, just shooting as an amateur. So, all amateurs got four handicap points, so we milked those handicap points. And I'm just going to be brutally honest with you guys. <laughs> we probably shouldn't have been there. We probably shouldn't have made it that far. Um, you know, realistically, uh, me and Rudy are both considered pros. So, technically, we should have got zero handicap points. <laughs> but, you know, hey, it's that bag, you know, just a little bit. Um, no more, of course. I got all that sandbagging out of my system. I also shot flights that year in Vegas, or the year before. Man, did that blow up in my face. <laughs> I went to Vegas, shot flights, thinking I was going to, like, you know, win flights or something, shooting 900 in flights, and was so nervous, I, uh, shit the bed. I, was that the year before? It was, well, it was the time in Vegas before then. Yeah. Uh, it might have been two years before because of COVID or whatever. So, 
no more sandbagging for me because uh, it kind of feels bad to say. <laughs> Doesn't feel good to say that you do cheap shit like that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I've been on a, a straight and narrow path lately. I smoke far less weed, if any. I almost never drink booze. It's like if you if you want to get me high, all you got to do is spray some hairspray next to me and I'll I'll get all crazy. But anyway, break the barriers. Um I I'm, I'm going to do a quick breakdown for you guys of you know my thoughts on the break the barriers, okay? Uh if you listen, I think I have a or if you go back in, into my catalog, massive catalog of podcasts, there's one that me and Rudy did from last year, a recap episode where we talk about uh, various targets and the ones that tripped us up and whatnot. There's one that's going to be there. Well, I'm assuming is going to be there that you guys need to be prepared for. It's a very close. I want to say three yard fox that is you have to stand on like a small platform or something, and it, or it's at your feet, so you have to aim way down at it. And there's something something that happens where, um, you know, you cut yardage, right? But if you're beyond 14 yards or you're beyond where, you know, your sight tape starts to go back the other way, where your your sight's now coming um, back down, uh, does that make sense? You as you get closer to a target, your sight, your scope on your sight is going up, right? Ultimately, you're going higher up on your sight rail thing. Your number's getting closer to zero, basically. Um, at a certain point, usually it's around the 14-yard mark varies for some people it'll start to go back the other way so even though you're getting closer to the target you're 13 yards now you're clicking your scope back down and that number is getting further away from zero or your reference numbers on the side are getting further away from zero okay so it starts to get reversed you guys know this anyone that shot a three yard target the short birdie targets it, you know your your foot uh conversion chart that you get from archer's advantage before you know it you're shooting like your 60-yard mark at a three-yard target, right? Or in a two-and-a-half-yard target, basically. Well, when you have to cut a bunch of yards, it's reversed. You're actually adding yards. Where it would normally be like a X-yard cut. Now you're adding... Man, I can't remember... You know, admittedly, I have smoked a bunch of pot before. I mean between the last time and now so you know if you guys want the the straight poop on that <laughs> you guys got to go back into the archive find my recap break the barriers recap episode with rudy there is some good shit in there regarding this this tricky shot okay it's reverse of whatever you think it is don't just go up to it and cut yardage and shoot it and think you're going to be okay that's what i did i was shooting it with tommy daly and uh mark rubio they both knew they were like you go the other way right they told me this before I shot, and I did not believe them. I was like, you guys are pool hustlers. You're trying to take away one of my handicap points. Fuck that. And I went, and I fucking missed the <laughs> I think I shot above it or who knows what. I can't remember. It was, it was a long time ago. I've shot a lot of targets since then. But uh, just know there's a close target, and it's it's going to be an extreme downhill angle. I'm fairly certain. I'm not sure if they're going to change it, you know, change it up because that was one of the unique targets, but um I would imagine they're going to keep it similar. 
So the the target list for Freon and Break the Barriers is up. Uh, if you go to the BTB 3D Open website or whatever they call it, they have a full-on target list there. So you can see the yardages um, and then the, the animal you're going to be shooting. Out of 102 targets, all right, eight of them are over, might even be just seven of them, are over 62 yards. Why is that important? Well, if you're shooting like a 10-ring orange spot, it's a, it's a small orange spot, right? But I feel like a lot of you guys and gals out there can hit this orange spot, especially if it's against the black, you know, painted black animal or painted brown animal. If it's orange against brown, I, I feel like you have a high percentage of hitting it. It's, this is all one arrow shooting, too. So if I, you know, for some people, this is going to put a lot of pressure on them. Like, you got to hit it in one. But for some people, this is going to alleviate some pressure because you only have to hit it once. You don't have to 22 this animal like you would in Red Inger on a safari. You just got to tag it once, and then you're, you're, you're golden. On to the next one. So, yeah, um, the shortest target distance is going to be three yards. The longest is going to be 101 I'm kind of figuring 60, for me, ugh, I hate saying that, for me, for me, uh, 60 is about where my comfort of shooting these tiny orange dots gets 50-50 on, all right? I, I would argue that if you took eight targets and you put them all at 60, let's just say 63 yards, right? And you put a, a small orange spot on it. I would I would honestly argue that I would miss half of them, you know? And uh, maybe on a good day I'd hit more. But I know myself, right? Um, I'll get into this later. Well, I'll get into it now. Fine, fuck it. I feel like the, the way I judge shooters, right, like is... Um, a good example is my good friend Alan Brunetta. He was guest on the, the last episode, right? I look at Alan. I look at all of you shooters like a, a top flight um, baseball card, right? You get a cool picture on the front where you're shooting. Flip it over onto the back and it has your stats. Well, what are your stats? In my mind, your stats are the different yardages and then your success percentages next to it, right? And I think where like a guy like Alan... Anything from 10, I'm going to say to 65, he's probably high 90 percentage uh, success on hitting those. It means like, you know, 9.8 out of 10 times he'll hit it. He'll hit that target. Um, what makes Alan an extremely good shooter is that his 65 to 75 or his 65 to 80 is also really damn good. I would say he's a high eighty percent uh, success rate on those on those long targets. His hundred yarder, it goes the other way. He's a hundred percenter on that hundred yarder. He almost always hits the the long shots. It's almost like the long shots are gimmies for him. But um, it's one of the things why Allen's a in my mind he's a legit pro. He is good at almost all distances. But that's how I see when I look at shooters. That's how I see you know whether if you're good. You know, if you want to be considered good, your stats would be 
pretty decent on all of them. When I look at myself, 65 is about where I start to go like low 90s, maybe even high 80s. And then 70 to 80 is starting to get, it's starting to get a little rusty, <laughs> you know, maybe high 70s. <laughs> and 100, it's never give me, it's never a gimme for me. <laughs> Everyone's like, well, you should have done your homework. It's like, I did do my homework. It's still hard. So, um, yeah, man, if I had a bunch of time on my hands, I, I, I would be making uh, <laughs> Outlaw Archer's uh, baseball cards of you guys, but I don't have that kind of time on my hands, and quite frankly, that's, that's, a, little, that's a little weird. <laughs> but um, when I do look at people, uh, or when, I, when I'm like, someone says, hey, do you think this is a good shooter? If I know them, that's the first thing I think about. What are their percentages? You know? Some guys that have low percentages on like the 1 through 50 or the 10 through 50, those are normally guys that are more in the amateur class. They're still working their way up, you know. Um, you know, to be fair, the points I dropped in load, I were all pretty, mostly pretty close. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, with my list here, um, I feel like eight targets. Out of 102, eight of them should give you trouble. Uh, realistically, it'll probably be more like 15. Because I would imagine you have those eight that are at some distance, maybe a little bit of wind on a couple of them, and then about seven other shots that are closer, but they're going to be more technical. Maybe they're going to be over water. They're going to be uphill. Um, uphill at, with a slight angle. Aside from that, they should be straightforward. Remember, guys, it's 102 targets. Um, do not sleep on setting your sight. Okay? It's a horrible way to lose points. And uh, it's just with so many targets, you're, you're, you're going to be changing your sight ultimately 52 times. Or 51 times Saturday and then 51 times on Sunday. That's not including the shoot-off, Okay? Um, with a, a safari style event, you're usually changing your sight about half that much, or at least for Reading, it'll be 25 times. We did 48 at Lodi, which is getting kind of close, but I, I'm sure someone up there missed at their sight too. In fact, I think I have two friends that did that. So make sure your sight's set. I believe the shoot off is like 83 yards, if I remember correctly, or maybe it's closer, but I don't know. I remember the shoot off being on the big spot, but it's still being difficult because everyone's watching you. <laughs> but uh, I got a lot of friends shooting the Break the Barriers event. Um, if you guys happen to listen to this show, uh, I wish you luck. Uh, I, uh, I wish I could be there with you, but uh, don't let my absence take anything away from this. This is going to be a great experience. There's going to be great pros there. Um I don't know if Broadwater's going to be there, but he's on the fucking flyer, so he should. I think Paige Pierce is going to be there. So it's going to be, you know, there's going to be some big swinging dicks down there. You guys soak it up. Get some, uh, get what you can out of shooting with good shooters. Brandon Williamson. Dust, dusting off the old, uh, you know, the old pacemaker to come out. He's a old prime uh, pro staffer. I'd love to interview him on this show, but... As you guys know, I, I generally just interview people that win stuff, and Brandon hasn't won anything in 
well, forever. So <laughs> I'd love to get him on. I'd love to get him on. Brandon, do something. Do something. Get win something so I can get you on. Um, that's not true. I don't just interview people that win stuff, but I do try to interview people that will teach us something. Um, the show, you know, I'm always pushing that I'm trying to make this so we can get better at archery together. And, you know, that comes without the whole selling you guys a bunch of shit. Um, so let's see. Someone, uh, a good friend of mine, Mr. Zachary Walker said, uh, Hey, can you cover cutting yardage and how to make those decisions? And Zach's talking specifically about how I said I, I missed my last target because I read it funny. Um, in Lodi, um, it wasn't my last target, but I missed a target because I ranged it and it was one of those numbers that was in the middle. It was like 57.4, right? Now, some people would just call it and be like, I'm going to split it. It's going to be 57.5. Normally, what I do is I will get I will step in front of the stake and I'll range it and I'll step behind the stake and I'll range it or I'll, I'll um I'll keep one foot you know on the stake and I'll I'll range either in front or behind the stake and see what where I get a flat number you know so it was 574 and I believe I stepped back and it was like 578 and so I thought like all right I'm standing on the half, 57.5, and I shot it, and I was like 6 o'clock underneath the spot. So I thought, fuck. So I set it for 58, bam, hit it. That was me reading it wrong. So my advice to you guys is to, sh- like, one, shoot off your rangefinder. If you have a decent rangefinder, if it does angle compensation and stuff, and you have a fresh battery in it, uh, and you get your sight marks off of it, God damn it, lean on that rangefinder. I mean, you're shooting freestyle. Why not? Um, but the other thing is to to get a square number when you're ranging a target. And that means move around the stake. Now, <clears throat> a lot of tournaments you can't step off the stake or you can't be like I don't know what the I don't know what the technical rule is. So you just have to ask some anal person about it. But um I know you can't be like three big steps in front of the stake (laughs) right but you got to be around it usually around the stake in front or behind you can get a flat number and getting the flat number in in my opinion is where it's at uh i at this moment i would almost say round up if the number is if you can't find a way to get a square number um I would say round up, but I know someone out there is going to round up, shoot at the top, and be like, dude, you fucked me. So, you know, use your judgment, okay? But I think most of the time you can get away with rounding it up. I think a half yard high, in most cases, would still be in. I don't know. Half yard low should, should have still been in, but what can I say? And really, that's all I got as far as as reading targets and cutting yardage. I mean, I gave you that little spiel about when you're inside of 14 yards and you have to cut yardage, you're actually adding yardage now. Um, I don't, man, I, I can't remember exactly how that goes. So I might be doing you guys a disservice. <laughs> anyway, um, 
you know, I don't want to harp on Lodi a whole bunch. I shot decent at Lodi. Uh, I want you guys to know that in my personal opinion, and I think in the opinion of many, Lodi is an easy event because the orange spots are really big. All right. I do believe they're larger than most safari events. Um, and someone had said something like, well, what about the year you, you cleaned it? One year I, I cleaned uh, Lodi on day one. I think the spots were big then too. I truly think that's why it's a cleanable course. Um, why people don't clean it, you know, hey, you tell me. <laughs> I know Dave Cousins dropped one or two on that course as well. But, um, I mean, I, I think it's just really, it, it's difficult to keep that focus all day long for 48 targets. That's the challenge. But, man, if you throw, like, regulation-sized dots in there, then you got multiple challenges. It's hard shooting, and you got to keep that focus. I mean, that's ultimately what we're going to have in Reading. So, <clears throat> but, yeah. Long before Reading, break the barriers. Funny story. I went to break the barriers one year with my buddy. Um, we got a really dingy hotel room, right? Uh, it was, man, was it in Freont? It looked like a crack den, right? It was super cheap. I think it was $40 for one night. And uh, <laughs> we were woken up at 4 in the morning by the most aggressive sex coming from the room next to us. <laughs> I had to cheer the guy on. I was like, dude, you, you're banging like an Olympian. <laughs> you know? <laughs> a violent Olympian. Um, yeah, it, it's one hell of a way to make a, an awkward morning start out. Uh, but anyway, let's see. What else do we got? Oh! As you guys may have seen, uh, I did a bunch of testing on indexing, indexed arrows. So here's what, what I found, okay? I had my indexed arrows. Those are arrows that I shot at distance, knock index them so that they all hit the same spot, right? Roughly the same spot. I took arrows that were indexed from Alex Mueller, right? Those are arrows that were put on a spine-puring uh, jig, we'll call it. And Alex aligned the spine on those arrows. I then shot arrows that I did not align in any way whatsoever. Just threw them together. And then I shot arrows that were spine indexed by shooting them, or I'm sorry, knock indexed by shooting them, but I, I had them fleshed with right helical, right? Mainly because <clears throat> I wanted to illustrate a point. Um, I've been saying I don't shoot that I don't want to shoot America's best bow strings, right? And it's not because I think the strings are quality like not good. I don't think that. My main reason is because America's best twists their strings in a reverse direction. And if you listen to the episode with me and Tom Parkinson talking about it, he talks about their build process. And what that does is it makes like the way America's Best bowstrings are made, they almost always cast off a bear shaft clockwise. Well, what is that? Well, why is that important? It's really not. But I've already fletched up like three dozen arrows <laughs> counterclockwise or left helical. So 
at this point, I don't have time to strip all these arrows and put them the other way. That's why it's my main gripe against America's Best. Otherwise, I'm sure they're wonderful, wonderful strings. But my buddy Alan said, dude, maybe that doesn't even matter. Have you even tried shooting a right hel- helical through, you know, your your Parkinson strings and to see if it even makes a difference? So I, I fletched up four arrows, right helical, took all these arrows out to 80 yards. <clears throat> and what I found, well, the first, you know, first round, first end of shooting, Alex Miller's arrows kicked ass per super flat you could have drawn a you could have put a level on all four arrows they were so flat <clears throat> they're all in the spot at 80 everything else or i mean my index arrows i think it was three in one out the non-index arrows three in one out and then the right helical two in two out right i then pulled them all shot it shot them again and then I think the Alex Mueller arrows were two in, two out. And then my index arrows, three in, one out. The non-index, three in, one out. Right helical, two in, two out. So what does that mean? The right helical scored the worst. All right. And th- granted, this was just two ends. I just tested two ends. Real science would have me do this like a hundred more times. Okay. And I intend to do more testing and to actually measure group sizes because that's Ultimately, what is more important is the group size. I, I need to measure the group size. But just off initial testing, I mean, was I mean, preliminary testing, I cannot like actually tell you guys that indexing these arrows did anything. Um, my non-indexed arrows shot just as good as my indexed arrows. The Alex Mueller arrow shot really good the first end. I mean, ultimately, it's me shooting them, right? And I don't, I can't tell you that I feel any gain or forgiveness from the indexed arrows versus the non-indexed. So it's kind of weird. I told you guys in the past that I'm a very religious, like when building arrows, I religiously have noctuned them for you know last two years now. And now testing it, I'm kind of like, oh, wow. Did I have to do that? I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> um, the right helicals being two and two out consistently, though, got me thinking about a couple things. So, one, I'm definitely right about that. Okay? You want you to you want to fletch your arrows in the direction that the bear shaft spins. Gotcha. But because the the veins pointing to the right made such a huge difference as to whether or not they would be in and out. <clears throat> in my mind, your vein orientation plays a much bigger role into your group size at 80 yards. If vein orientation plays a huge role, I would imagine the vein profile, you know, weight, texture, like the vein characteristics themselves probably play a huge role into this. And I know I just said I'm not going to fletch up three dozen arrows again. But I might strip a couple and try a different vein and test that as far as does that group better than the... Right now I'm shooting flex fletch 225s. I think they call it the Euro shield cut, right? I love flex fletch veins. Not sponsored by them, but they don't have logos on them. They look very plain. 
they're very not flashy and they're very not hype. And I really like that about them. Um, that's not to say I wouldn't shoot some hyped up veins. <laughs> Q2Is, awesome vein also. Doesn't look very hyped up. Um, so, yeah. In my mind, what that test showed is that vein orientation is more important. And that might lead into vein selection. Um, I'm not exactly sure. Like, I wouldn't mind testing uh, some 187s, you know, against these or the AAE 2.0s or whatever they call them. Um, I also, Alex Mueller himself was telling me that he runs a left offset. And <clears throat> I've heard in the past that left offset is actually more effective at long range than helical because helical, you get drag, the arrow slows down. Once the arrow slows down, it gets a little wobbly, and then you lose accuracy ultimately. So I do want to try the left offset. I think that that might be something that's worth testing. But um, at this moment, like I would tell you guys you don't have to index your arrows. If you get... I mean, granted, I'm shooting Pierce Tours. These are like Gold Tip's most expensive field arrow, right? It's it's almost more... It, it looks to me like veins are more important than, uh, than spine indexing. Now, I know Alex would disagree with me. <clears throat> and I posted a video of Alex puring these shafts. You can see the arrow does have a flex plane, right? You can definitely see what he's doing, and you can see it in the arrow. Like they, are, he is finding the flex plane of the arrow. Um, and it's impressive. It's kind of, it's a cool process, and it's like holy shit. Like there's some, there's definitely something going on there. Whether or not that plays into that arrow flying through the air in a more consistent manner than others, I don't know. Um, you know, I think. Maybe once that arrow's spinning, it, it doesn't matter. You know, if if the arrow's flexing on two planes, say, <clears throat> I'm sorry, on one plane, if it's flexing on a zero degree and 180 degree, and now you take that arrow and you spin it 360 degrees a thousand times, I, I don't think it matters. It, that point, those two points are now all over the place. I think... Um, I don't know. I used to say that I thought dynamic spine was also the key. Like how consistent your arrows are to each other. It's one thing if your arrows are like, you know, oh man, I shoot a 500 spine and then you put it on a little ram spine tester and it hits 500 on the, the money. But then your arrows are like 501, 502, 499, <laughs> you know, versus, you know, maybe a match grade set where they're all 500, 500, 500. I don't know. It's really hard to say. You know, I, I I definitely need to do more testing before I poo-poo on indexing. But I can tell you guys, as of right now, I'm starting to think spine indexing is like um, superstition. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. I'll, I'll test some more, and uh, and then I'll say some blasphemous stuff. Um. I wanted to talk to you guys about how first and second axis issues on your site can um, be masked with where you put your arrow rest. So if you have a first and second axis issue, it might be first axis, but basically if your site is not 
um, straight up and down, and it's kind of you know kicked off one way or another. What's going to happen is when your site's at twenty and when your site's at sixty, your bubble is going to be. I mean, if your if your bow is perfectly aligned, your site at twenty and your site at sixty, the bubble should be differently if you have access issues. While you're shooting, you're always going to align that bubble, right? So if you adjust your center shot to hit in the middle from 20 to 60, what you're actually doing is setting your center shot to just be an opposite. You're, you're arrow shooting like, you know, if you did like a walk back tune <laughs> or a French tune or whatever, when you're at 60 yards, you're hitting on one side of the line, right? If you're not adjusting your rest. You're basically doing that to compensate for your sight being tilted one way or another. Um, so it's important to have your first and second axis and your third axis done before you go and do your center shot adjustment. Um, like I said, you know, I said before in Lodi, I had a first and second axis issue um, that I didn't even consider. Um, and my bow shot amazing because I was able to mask that problem with my center shot. Uh, I don't advise that you do this. And the first, <laughs> you know, the second I got home, I mean, I was chasing my windage left and right. Cause no matter how good you do your center shot, it's not going to, it's not going to, it's just going to mask the problem. It's not going to cure the problem. Right. So the second I got home, fixed the first and second axis, um, and then redid my center shot. The my bow is shooting so much more accurately at close range. It's weird. I didn't think that was a big deal, but now I'm thinking like, well, when indoor comes around, making sure your sight and your you know the axis on your sight are good, it's kind of a big deal. And I guess it's because I was kind of thinking like, when the bow is level, right, you could be a little off left or right, and the bubble is still somewhat low it's still inside those two little tick lines you know but if it's off and you know say you're holding it level but in reality that bubble would be like split on the line you would have to hold it directly on that line to get it the same every time otherwise you're, it's going to become more extreme your cant is actually going to be more extreme and it's going to have a wackier effect on your arrow you're actually going to be canting your bow more unknowingly <clears throat> so First and second axis, I know that's some day one shit, guys, <laughs> but your boy overlooked it. Um, I got a positive, a very positive non-bullshit product of the week. I know you guys love these because I'm always shit, you know, bitching and moaning about stuff. Here's a good one. Easton knock pliers. What? Why, Wendell? <laughs> Well, one, you can tighten a D-loop, and you can control the tightness so you don't absolutely destroy your center serving. <clears throat> but the other thing is the Easton uh, knock pliers have little grooves cut out of them so you can remove points on arrows. Like, they fit perfectly over arrow points. Awesome product. I get lots of mileage out of it. Um, the ends on the knock pliers are flat. And they, they, they're not, like, they don't have teeth. So that you can actually, like, undo... Say you tie a D-loop and you're like, oh, I don't like 
the length I made that D loop. You can use these knock pliers to push the D loop button back through your knot to undo your D loop. Awesome product. Well done, Easton. You finally created something that wasn't overpriced. <laughs> uh, I think those I think those players are like nineteen dollars though, but <laughs> um let's see. Tom Parkinson. I got two strings from him, or a new set of strings, actually. And to be cute, he sent me a Bomar nose button. Um, there's actually two of them in here. There's like a tiny one and a larger one. It is hot pink. And, you know, back in the, the medieval days, this would be considered an act of war or a declaration of war. Um but instead, I'm going to turn this lemon into lemonade and give this thing away. So we're going to do uh, another giveaway on this show. This is how it's going to go. If you guys want this nose button, all you got to do is do a social media post, tag Archery Unfiltered, talk about which episode you liked or didn't like, um, or even tag Archery Unfiltered. Just call me a dope. I don't know. <laughs> do, do whatever. Post up your most embarrassing photo of me, all right? If you could do any of those things, uh, and your name's not Jim Padilla, <laughs> or Alan Brunetta, both those guys got horrible pictures of me. Um, if you guys can do that, I'll pick one at random, and the way this is going to go is I'm going to publicly berate you for wanting a Bomar nose button. Um, I'll, I'll say a bunch of really vile and mean things about you and how... You could have done archery in such a better way. And then I'll mail you the, the nose button. Does that sound cool? <laughs> Everyone knows that I'm <laughs> I'm super anti. I think that's why Tom took such pleasure in sending this to me. Um, if you guys remember, the reason why I, I don't think these are necessary is because you can pretty much, if your bow fits you, you can get just fine nose to string contact. And it doesn't have to be super crazy. And, you know, you can also get string-to-face contact, the corner of your mouth, without burying your face in it or not burying your face in it. If you guys watch me shoot, I pretty much bury my fat face into my string every single shot. And it seems to work out for me just fine. Um, it's funny seeing guys like Jesse Broadwater and Levi Morgan shoot nose buttons now, especially this no Bomar nose button, considering... They won and set a crap ton of records without one. Like, most killers that I've seen have done a lot of damage without one of these. So I don't understand why there's this huge push for them now. Or, you know, I don't want to say it's hype because I haven't tried one. But I don't believe they need one just because how much stuff has been, how much success has been gotten without them. Um, you know, <coughs> all things considered, <laughs> if you want one, you know the you know the rules to enter in this giveaway. Um, I'll probably just give you like a light roasting <laughs> publicly, and then I'll mail this thing to you. Uh, I'm I'm trying to also not say. With that being said, it seems like almost every podcast I listen to now, that phrase is uttered. Well, with that being said, blah, 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 blah. We'll say all things considered. Upcoming events. 
<clears throat> in April, I believe April 16th is going to be the Maya Archers Around the World shoot. Very fun shoot. I think I am going to be getting out for that one. Um, that is Northern California. I don't exactly know what town it's in. It's a literally an archery range that kind of goes underneath a highway or a freeway or something like that. Really windy there, but otherwise a really good shoot and a great, great warm up. Um, like I said before, a lot of these events, I mean, if you go out with the intention of winning to establish or assert your dominance, that's totally fine. But realistically, you should be using every event you can in preparation for the big one, which is Reading. If you're not shooting Reading, then, you know, whatever event, whatever thing that you're you're going for, you know. Um, and shit, even if you are trying to establish your dominance, uh, it's not going to be your last season of shooting, right? Like, all this stuff should be something that you're using to, to build on to get better. Um, so, yeah, my archers on the April 16th, April 24th, Sonoma County Bowman is having the ultimate shoot. What do they call it? Ultimate bow hunt shoot or ultimate shoot? I can't remember. That's going to be a fun one. It's going to be another safari-style event. I believe it's going to be at the Dutra's Ranch in near Petaluma. I will be in attendance for that one. It's like I'm coming out of the my <laughs> my turtle shell here for uh, two events right before Reading. And you guys know Reading is going to be May 4th to May 8th. I am so excited. Uh, I get to partner with a really good shooter, Austin Watts. He's the prodigy, Northern California prodigy. We are going to, you know, roll the dice, try our hand, and win in the gold in the team event. Um, that's not to say there's not going to be, there's going to be a ton of other good shooters there. So we'll see how Redding goes after Redding. Oh, wait a minute. Before Redding, even April 30th is the Fresno Safari. And that is the third leg of the outlaw archers event. Um, outlaw Safari is freaking dope. If you guys are down there and you're shooting it, Keep your eyes peeled for John Weaver. Right? John Weaver is a dude who fucking crushes it. I believe that's his home turf. Uh, that's the last time I saw John Weaver. And he was shooting a phenomenal safari score. Um, if you guys find him, if you see him, tell him Wendell says hi. Wendell's still a big fan. Um, snap a photo of him. Or with him. Snap a photo with him. Post it, set, you post it up on the Archery Unfiltered page. Um, I interviewed John a little while ago about shooting the State 900 because John holds the record for the State 900. He's a beast. And he's one of the... What's the word? Humble, non-assuming beasts. He like The guys that are, in my mind, that are some of the most dangerous, i.e., like the most badass snipers in this game are the guys that are super quiet. They're not, they don't have to be super quiet, but they seem to be quiet, humble. They're not yelling, look at me. They're just out there doing the, doing the damn thing. You know, uh, John Weaver's one, Aaron Hall's another, Ben Hobbs. Those are the, those are three snipers like right off the top of my head that 
are that fit that bill of like quiet killers, you know? Then you turn up the volume a little bit, you get to the Mark Rubios, a little bit louder, kind of yell some shit talk every now now and then. <laughs> Still killers, though. So, um, yeah. All right. <clears throat> now we're going to have some fun. I got two questions. That You remember in school, the teacher said there's no... There's no dumb questions, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> so this question comes from Bobby Fortune. He is shooting out of Lodi Archery. Bobby says, question for you, Slick. He calls me Slick because I'm normally really sweaty and greasy when he sees me. I said, what up, Bobby? He said, Bobby says, I'm shooting Victory NVX-27s. I want a, to put a 150 grain point in it. <laughs> I want to put a 150 grain points in it, but I can find is VTEC points. Will they fit in that NVX shaft? So, I guess the reason why Bobby is asking because in the past I've swapped like gold tip and Easton points into you know, um, but only because it's well known that the inside outside diameters of those points and arrow shafts match up really well I however have no clue about victory arrows nor do I know about the new MVX shaft or the VTEC components so I told him I have no fucking clue and I said why the fuck would you even ask me some asinine question like that just buy the points that go with a shaft they said I can't find any I said well that's what your local shop is for and um, I told Bobby I was going to make fun of him on my show for asking such a dumb question. And he said, um, don't put me on there. You're going to make me look like a fucking idiot. <laughs> well, here you go, Bob. Bobby Fortune from Lodi. Uh, can someone help him get some points for those MVX or whatever, 27 victories? All right. Let's see. Who else can I publicly berate? Oh, here's a good one. This is from my buddy Rich. Rich says, I still wonder if a guy were to where to use the spine tester how grip was talking in an old video about true up all components. <laughs> to which my response was, What the fuck did you just message me, Rich? <laughs> and, and that's it for listener questions. <laughs> um I should say that's it for silly listener questions. My buddy Carlos actually asked me uh, a good question the other day where he said, hey, what do you think about shooting 23s for a field, like a like a legit field round? I told him I didn't think it was a, a good idea. And I know a lot of people, their first answer to that is going to be wind drift. I wouldn't shoot a 23 for a field round because of the wind. Most field courses, well, I shouldn't say most. The field course that I shoot on, doesn't have a lot of wind right but what it does have is field targets and you guys will know if you shoot a field round you're gonna have to shoot a fan right you'll sh- where you shoot four arrows into one target you'll have to shoot two top two low um just stuff like that you know i can't remember all the rules but with field archery you know you'll have walk-ups uh, and things of that nature where you're putting a lot of arrows into one target and so I feel like with 23s, with, you know, 
pin bushings in the back. Every time you get a 23 in there, it's going to take up a little more real estate than a 166 or a micro diameter arrow. And if you're not the first guy getting all your arrows in, um, I feel like you run the chance of glancing out off of others or glancing out off of your own. Um, especially on the closer targets where, you know, like the 30-yard fan or 35-yard fan or the, what is it, 40, 34-yard walk-up. I can't remember. I, I know I'm, someone's out there probably screaming, like, that's not how field rounds are shot. But you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You're putting multiple arrows into one target. Sometimes from you're getting closer as you're doing it, right? So I think um, I would go, if it was me personally, I would go with a skinnier arrow. I know Carlos said, well, I have a buddy who shoots 23s for field, and he loves them. My only question would be is, does your buddy win state field competitions as he win national field competitions right pretty sure blake jerome stomped the world with uh x10s or i want to say x10s um at the last field you know field nationals so i think there's i think most people will shoot skinnies just for like the win factor for the 80 yard target right but the 80 yards you're only shooting 80 yards like twice and they're walk-ups right so you're going to shoot the 80 and then you're going to 70 60, 50, so on. So, you know, I don't think I don't think the wind would be a huge factor, but the big one is going to be glance outs, especially if you're shooting in a group of people, four, four other people deep. Everyone's shooting four arrows, that's 16 arrows into the target. It's going to get cluttered as fuck in there. So I would pick a skinny arrow, pick a pointy point, and crush them. Well, all right, guys. That is my episode for today. Um, thank you all for listening. Just going over the, you know, nothing real special today. Just going over the basics uh, for the break the barriers. Going over the little things I've discovered about the first and second axis and how it is actually important. And not to overlook it, right? I, I overlooked it. And it's not so much a hindrance as it is it will confuse you when you start chasing your your windage if that makes sense cuz i don't feel like having a first and second axis off hurt me it just made me chase windage luckily lodi has targets that advance up where it's like you go 30 yards 50 yards 80 you know 30 yards 50 yards 60 yards and then it's kind of like crawls back down have very little like 20 to 100 which reminds me, at this Break the Barriers event, it goes, let me see, where's the target list here? It goes, it, <laughs> if you're on the uh, the red range, all right, it's going to go five yards on target three to 25 yards target four, 34 yards target five, and then bam, 79 yards and then bam, 77 yards. So you're not going to get the chance to, you know, gradually chase your windage. You got to make sure your center shot's on and that you're hitting middle close and far. If you know your windage is off far, you got to know how many clicks it's going to be going into that. Okay. You're not going to get the chance to build up to it. 
it's just gonna it's gonna hit you like a ton of bricks, and then right when you think it's over, you have to shoot seventy seven, which is just two yards shorter. So, hopefully, if you're out at seventy nine, you can correct your windage for the seventy seven. That's immediately after. After that seventy seven, it's gonna drop back to twenty two again. So, it's steep. They they do the jump around a lot with the break the barriers. Um, it's gonna be a lot of. 20 yard, 27, 23, 33. It's going to be you're going to be hanging out a lot under 40. But I'd imagine they're going to be technical, the spots are going to be small. You guys just got to keep your head cool, all right? Don't get frustrated. Remember about outrunning the demon. If you miss, you know, it's not over. It's only over when you let it be over. So keep chasing the orange spot. Don't get discouraged. I have total faith you guys are going to shoot great okay someone go out there and beat jesse broadwater for me huh <laughs> all right guys this show is brought to you by db custom coatings my friends darren and bet out of napa california they saracote bows they saracote them good um you guys probably see austin watts he's got a captain america it's like an american flag invicta it's cool as hell. Um, Darren just Saracoded a TRX-38 for me in Battleship Gray. No. Yes, Battleship Gray. Um, can't wait to build that bow. It is going to look so badass. Um, they have done a a white and gray American flag uh, on one of Bet's bows. They got, they're all over the place. They done Casey Caulfield's bow. They, she shot in the Olympics. It's badass. It's even on the side of their truck, the, the Lancaster truck. Darren Saracoded the bow that's on that truck, uh, on the picture on that truck. It's freaking cool. So check them out. Darren and Beck Custom Coatings, DB Custom Coatings on Instagram. And uh, this show is also brought to you by Carbon Craft Stabilizers. Guys, um, Brian Webb has carbon in-house, in stock now. He's building stabilizers. The wait's over. So if any of you guys have been thinking about buying Carbon Craft bars, um, but you kind of didn't want to because you heard there was like a long wait, the wait's over. Brian's making bars for people now. So <clears throat> I'm picking up a set of Carbon Craft bars so that I have two, and then I can use one set as a demo. So if anyone wants to try bars, you guys are more than welcome to try mine. I have a 15-inch uh, back bar and a 30-inch front bar. It's my favorite combo to date. Um... But yeah, guys, Carbon Craft. It's a, a small, you know how I am about small business, guys. You know, like I dig Tom Parkinson and his strings. Um, this company was started by Adam Ross, good good buddy of mine, and uh, our friend Brian Webb. Brian Webb is the craftsman behind uh, the, the Carbon Craft bar. They're legit bars. And, you know, I've debated with guys like I have a friend named Jeff. And we, we get into debates about strings all the time. Well, at least we were. We kind of dumped that subject. <laughs> but um, I let I let Jeff borrow a pair of Carbon Craft bars thinking, okay, he was going to test them out. And I was expecting, I'm sorry, Jeff. I was expecting Jeff to shit all over them because I shit all over his strings. Okay? <laughs> and I kind of just thought it would be a tit for tat like, oh, yeah, well, you said this. We'll check this out. <laughs> right? Um. But that's not what happened. Jeff was like, I really fucking like these. 
And the thing that Jeff said that I did not pick up on or that I never advertised is how damp, like how these bars dampen vibration. Like Jeff kept saying they made his bow feel dead, right? And he he thought that they were filled with something. Or he was asking, like, how did, how are these made? Like, how do they do this? And I'm fairly certain it's just the type of carbon it is. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend to know, but I'm I'm pretty sure there's not stuff, like, inside the bars. And, um, you know, the thing that I've always harped on is the bar is super stiff, which leads to really good aiming. Like, I, I've always found that I could aim better with less weight with an extremely stiff bar. The, the feedback I get from the stiff bar is much more direct and quick with my hand and my brain and my eyeballs and all that shit, right? Um, and I've done deflection tests with a carbon craft bar, and it it dissipates. What's the word? It, it, it stops vibrating much faster than all other bars. If you pull them all to a set point and then let them go, right? Um it vibrates way less and then dissipates faster than all other bars. And I think that is what Jeff was talking about. What he was feeling is that it, you know, what, oh man, what's the word? Not oscillate. Maybe it's oscillate. But the vibration in the bar goes away super fast. Boom. And it's it's out. If that's something you're looking for in a stabilizer, I would urge you to try them. You can try mine for free. You know, I'll happily ma- mail my bars to someone if you're a little trustworthy. Um, otherwise, catch me at an event. I'll tell you guys where I'm going to be, and you guys can try them out. All right, Carbon Craft Stabilizers. You guys can order from Brian Webb at Impact Archery in Fresno, or from Rudy Sandoval. You can order them from West Coast Archery in Petaluma. Um, that's it, guys. Thanks for listening to me rant for uh, for <laughs> for 57 minutes. You guys are awesome. Check out my Instagram, um, Archery Unfiltered. I also got a page on Facebook, also called Archery Unfiltered. Uh, If you guys have any questions, hit me up anytime. All right? Talk to you guys soon. Peace.